Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. I always uh, have a special just joy in my heart when I get to come and share with you all, get to be with you a little bit. And um, it's exciting to be in San Antonio. We've been here, what, almost a half a year now. And uh, moved from Germany, and God has uh, called us here to, to start the sister to this church, daughter, grandchild, ugly stepsister, whatever. But anyway, it's really it's really wonderful to be uh, with you today. And uh, I just want to say thanks for Randy and Claire for inviting me and letting me come and share. And I have been told that you guys are, are working through some teaching on the kingdom of God, which is absolutely one of my all-time favorite subjects. Uh, of course, if you're in the vineyard, Uh, For any length of time, then you're going to hear about the kingdom because that is a very, very core value, a core belief that we emphasize a lot on. And I know y'all are kind of working through step by step what all that means. God's kingdom, the way I understand it, of course, is not a place. It's not, uh, you know, normally when you think of a kingdom, it's a geographical area. And normally you have a king who rules over that area. And the kingdom is all that's within his authority. And you can take that parallel and say a little bit that God's kingdom is not about a geographical area, but God's kingdom is the place where God rules, where God reigns, where God is king. And Jesus said he was coming to the earth when he was confronted by Pilate. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. And he was not here to establish an earthly region on the planet or the globe or the entire globe where he would you know, have the, the army under his beck and call and would be ruling it as we understand worldly reader, leaders to rule. But rather, he said, my kingdom is in our hearts. And so we're just going through all sorts of dynamics in understanding what that, what that really means and, and understanding what God's kingdom is about. And so when Randy told me kind of where he left off, I guess last week, um, as he was sharing with me, just immediately something came into my into into my heart that I feel like God wants to share about. Um, not yet, too late. Go ahead, put it up there. Um, we're going to talk. I know it's Thanksgiving, so I thought, you know, I need to do something that's appropriate for Thanksgiving. That's why I decided to talk about the wilderness. It's very appropriate. I'm glad. Exactly. Um, you know, something to be thankful for. <laughs> but before we move on to the wilderness, just as a contrast, I want to I ask you, can you remember a time in your life where you felt particularly close to God, to where you were having a very wonderful phase in your, in your walk, in your relationship with Him? I think most of us who have Jesus as Lord, who are followers of Christ, have gone through seasons, and one of those seasons is where we're feeling particularly close, where we feel like God is very near, where we feel that the fellowship is good, not only the fellowship is good, but because of that or in connection to that, we're at a good time in our life where we're pleased with the way things are going. We feel good about that direction. And it just seems everything, you know, we're hitting on all cylinders, can you relate? Anybody ever been in a time like that? I, that's great. I had it for about an hour once. 
So I, I can still recall that one hour. It's really, it's really good. Now, particularly during that time, your faith is typically very strong. You, you're feeling close to God. Things are going well. You're praying. You're seeing God answers your prayers. And you're like, man, this, man, this, this Bible thing, it really works. You know, wow, look, I, you know, I read this and I pray and it happens and I'm seeing some, some real answers to prayer. The danger when we get into that phase is that we begin to connect our faith with our circumstances and our feelings. And we begin to grow dependent on the feelings in order to bolster or strengthen or give us our faith. And that is not what faith is really about. It's not about feelings and circumstances. In fact, I think I have it up here. If we can go to the next one, Martha, we have in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so the walk of walking in God's kingdom, of, of living under His rule and His reign is not a walk that is determined by circumstances and feelings. Those times are good times, and I do not mean to put them down. And I am so thankful for the times when I've really felt God's presence, when I have been very close to Him on a, on a very experiential level. But I cannot base my walk with God only on those times. Because what happens? Those times wear out. Eventually something happens. And we begin to get pulled out of those good feelings. And if our faith is dependent on those circumstances and everything feeling right, then we very quickly come crashing down and we begin to doubt, we begin to question, we begin to pull away from God and from His kingdom rule in our lives. And so how is God to you? How, does he, how, how do you relate to God when you're feeling very distant? I asked you all if you've had a time where you felt very close to God. Have you ever had a time where you were in the wilderness? No, look, they're even confessing with their hands. A time where you, you're praying, your prayers don't get past the ceiling, and you feel like God is anywhere but on your continent. Where your prayers are... Yeah, okay, He's here though, don't worry. He's... he's He's on this continent. But sometimes circumstances, experiences, and our feelings are screaming at us. That's not the case. Normally, when we're going through a time of wilderness, it's not only in our feelings about our relationship with God, but there's always circumstances around us that we're feeling pretty bad about. Things are not going well. I'm not a happy camper. I'm not seeing answers to prayer the way I expect them, or maybe not answers at all that I'm looking for. I pray and I don't feel God's presence. I read the Bible and I don't understand a word. It makes no sense to me. It doesn't speak to me. It's just Latin or Greek or some funny language. and It doesn't apply to my life. I think all of us, it's safe to say, have been in times in our relationship in our faith walk in God's kingdom where we've been there. Is that a pretty safe assumption? Very safe assumption. Some of us are probably 
in a time of that, some of you, the statistics would support me, are probably going through some of that right now, where you are not feeling that connected to God or you're not feeling like things are going well in your relationship with God or maybe in your circumstances. The interesting thing is, sometimes those wilderness experiences and times that we go through are God's fault. Would you believe He actually wants you there? Isn't that a nice feeling? God said, hey, can you, can you hit one forward where we can get the picture? I know it's not a very clear picture. That is an actual picture of a desert in Texas. I wanted a local shot. All right. It doesn't really look like anything I've seen in Texas, but the Internet said it was, so you know it's true. <laughs> All right. I think I got it from Wikipedia, so that's a reliable source. Yeah. All right, but there's, there's times in all of our lives where we feel like that's home territory. And believe it or not, if you read this book, God's Word, the Bible, you'll see numerous times where God deliberately leads His people or leaders of His into the wilderness. And it's His plan. It's what He wants. And the reason He does it, among other things, but one of the the key reasons is it's a time to grow. It's a time to mature. It's a time to grow up. Exactly in those moments are the times when we don't have to... where we can't base our faith on our feelings. Because if we're basing our faith on those feelings, then there's not much faith to have. Now, sometimes we get into the wilderness because of our own choices and, and, and bad choices that we've made that, that through life and, and decisions that we've, we've decided that, that call us into the wilderness. But some of the time... God calls us there. And I want us to look at that a little bit today because I have the ultimate example of somebody being, the word is driven by God into the wilderness. And if you have Bibles, then you can open them up to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to see the ultimate example of going into the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, let me just read this for you. I had it on a, on a slide, but we decided it was just so much that we would... Uh, I'll just read and you guys can listen or read along. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says the following out of the New Living Translation. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and, get this, he became very hungry. Gee, they always tell you if you fast long enough, the hunger goes away. They lie. Anyway, um, during that time, the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus answered, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So here we see that Jesus has just fin- finished a, so we, shall we say, a mountaintop experience. Because what happened right before Jesus gets led into the wilderness? It's his baptism by John the Baptist. That's exactly right. Jesus, in obedience to his Father, submits to John the Baptist, puts him under the water as he comes out. The Holy Spirit comes cruising down like a dove. God speaks vocally so that everybody can hear, this is my son. I think he's really cool. I like him. Picture yourself in that setting. Somebody just baptizes you. You come out of the water. The Holy Spirit visibly descends upon you and a voice comes from heaven, God's voice, and says, this is Randy. I'm really happy with him. How would you feel? Would you be thinking you're pretty cool? I would. I would be like, yeah, rock on, baby. Let's take the city. (laughs) All right, yeah, go. But that is not what happens to Jesus. As soon as he is finished with this experience... If you read it in, in uh, Mark, I think, uh, Martha, we got the next slide. Oh, you do have it up there. Go on to the next slide. Do what? Don't go to the next slide? Okay, we won't go to the next slide. Oh. <laughs> All right, it says, it says in Mark, okay, maybe that's not the right slide. All right, see, that's so much for my multimedia skills. Anyway, in Mark, the Greek word is he was driven by the Holy Spirit. It's a picture, it's a picture of this guy with a stick beating him and chasing him into the wilderness. All right, it wasn't like, hey, I got a good idea. Jesus, let's, let's head over to the desert. It's more like, move it. And he's driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, right after this mountaintop experience. What's up with that? That's not what I would have expected. But out of his obedience to his Father, following this driving of the Holy Spirit, he goes out and spends 40 days fasting in the desert. And now another interesting thing is, we've all heard the story. If you've 
been to Sunday school, if you've been to church, if you've been around a while, then you all know the story. And we know that at the end of the 40 days, we have the account. We're going to look at it a little more. I just read it where the devil comes and throws these three temptations at Jesus. But if you read it in, in Luke, it says in Luke 4 that, that Jesus was tempted for the entire 40 days. All right, he wasn't just tempted with these three questions. I think all of us read that and we're like, three questions? <laughs> I get tempted by the devil 300 times a day. I can handle three questions. But he was hit over and over for 40 days with temptation. And then we come to the climax, which three Gospels give to us, where Satan comes... And he, and he um, directly, we, we have an account of exactly the strategy that the devil uses to try to tempt Jesus. The thing that I want us to, to, to look at, though, for just a second is this came right after this mountaintop incredible experience. All right, he is on top of the world. He's been proclaimed by the prophet of the age who people are coming in droves to see John the Baptist, and they think this is the prophet of God. The entire nation is listening to him. This guy turns around and says, See him, Jesus? That's the Messiah. He baptized him. We have a physical manifestation of the entire Trinity. He's ready to go. He's had this mountaintop experience, and the next thing that happens is he's beaten by a whip to get out into the wilderness. And I think we can learn something there because how often have you had a mountaintop experience in your, in your relationship with Christ only to turn around and bam, plunge into a time of wilderness? My favorite example out of the entire Bible of, of mountaintop to uh, wilderness experience is Elijah. He goes to Mount Carmel. He takes on the 400 prophets of Baal in 1 Kings. He whips their little behinds. Fire from heaven comes down. He cleans them out. And what happens the next day? Jezebel, the queen, sends him a nice little love note. I'm going to kill you. And God's man of faith and power hikes up his rope and hightails it out of town. Runs for 40 days. Gets tired. An angel of God shows up and gives the guy milk and cookies. Alright? 40 days are running. I'm worn out. An angel shows up, gives the guy a little biscuit. That's enough, that gives him enough energy to run away for 40 more days. After running away for 80 days from a mountaintop experience where he, where he demonstrated God's power to an entire nation, he sits down and says, I wish I could die. He goes from mountaintop to suicide in 48 hours. I love it. I feel so good when I read that story. 
If you're on the mountaintop, pray that you don't get an angel with a biscuit. It's a bad sign. But it's what happens. We're up there. We're, we're, we're in nirvana, utopia, whatever. And bang! God drives us into the wilderness. Now, in, in Elijah, Elijah's case, he ran out of fear. In Jesus' case, he's, he's driven by the Holy Spirit into 40 days of temptation. It can happen to you. It probably has. And you may be in the middle of it right now where you are saying, I hate my life. I hate my circumstances. Elijah is like the, the second most powerful person in the nation has put out a contract on my life. I want to die. He says it literally. He says to God, he whines to God, kill me, please. And we look at our circumstances and we think this is... Not where I thought I was going to land. My life is messed up. It's a shambles. What happened? Just a few days ago, everything was rosy. Now I'm in a desert. What happens when we're in the desert? What happens when we're in the desert? Well, what happened to Jesus is, the never-ending kick-them-when-they're-down guy shows up and kicks. And he throws three things at him, and I want us to look at him a little closer. Because if you're in a wilderness time, and if you're not, you will be sometime, most likely, then I want you to look at some of the strategies that the enemy takes and throws at us when we're there. The first thing that happens, let's go to the first. Okay, Martha, maybe we can get back together on this one. The first temptation. We got that one? Yes. Nope, go to the next one. There we go. During that time, the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus could have turned those stones into bread? Wow, response. That's awesome. Yes. Did he have the power to turn those stones into bread? So what was Satan tempting Jesus to do? He was tempting Jesus. That was a rhetorical question. Don't answer that one. It was he was tempting Jesus. To rely on his own strength. Are you with me? God had given Jesus power. He could do miracles. He had been given this from God. And Satan comes and says, I'm not asking you to do anything other than what you can do anyway. Just turn them into bread. No biggie for you. The first temptation that comes when we're in a time of wilderness, when we're feeling apart from God, is to do what? Is to rely on our own strengths, gifts, talents, and abilities. 
Hey, I don't feel God. I don't think He's around. Hey, tell you what, just sit back. I'll do it. And yet that is, you know, Satan's not stupid. So if he's going to come and throw this one at Jesus, this must be a major problem. And your major problem is when we're in the wilderness is to say, I'm not going to rely on God. I'll take this one myself. I've been given these gifts, these talents, these abilities, these strengths. And I'll do it. But what does Jesus say? Jesus told him, no. The Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Later, Jesus tells us, I only do what I see my Father doing. If the word from God comes, do it, I'll do it. But not until then. I'm not going to rely on my wisdom and my strength. I'm going to wait and follow God's lead. And He'll come. He may even say, John, I've given you this gift, this talent, this ability. Now I'm going to empower you to go out and do it. But don't go until you hear that. And we're so tempted to rely on our own strengths and talents when we don't sense God's presence. When we get into a time of wilderness. But we're supposed to rely on God's Word, on His direction. And we should only do what He shows us to do. Alright, question number two. Alright, he failed on that one. Satan's got his next ploy. Alright, he says, The devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say... He will order His angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus answers, the Scriptures also say, you must not, not test the Lord your God. The next temptation, when we get into circumstances where we're feeling in the wilderness, is to test God. You see, Satan knew the promises. You'll find that, that reference um, about God protecting his foot against a stone. I believe it's in Psalm 34 or 37. I'm not sure. Which one? Yeah, 91. That's it. In your version. In the German Bible, it's, uh, in, verse, it's in chapter 91. And so he holds up a promise and says, prove it. Prove it. In a way, Satan was even really indirectly questioning Jesus' faith. Jesus, do you really believe that God's going to keep his end of the bargain? Do you have faith? That if you jump, you're really not going to get hurt? Why don't you test God? Check it out. And what happens to us 
As we get into the wilderness, we get into these circumstances and we feel like we need to force God to act. We try to manipulate God. God, your word says whatever. And we hold up some of the promises. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out here and according to your word, you're supposed to do something. Now, do it. And we fall right on our face. Because God didn't say, step out there. He didn't say, it's time to jump. And we put Him to the test. And we get into the wilderness and we believe in God and we believe His Word is true. And so we try to to do things where we think we're going to force God's hand. Where we're going to force God to live up to His end of the bargain. It's a test. And the Bible says we're not to test God. We're to wait on His voice. And when He says step, then we step. Then we walk on the water. But not until then. Incidentally, do you think God likes it when we try to manipulate Him? Uh, Do you like to be manipulated? So do you think you're helping your relationship with Him when you try that? And Jesus answers, and He says, you must not test the Lord your God. And He's indirectly saying, I don't need to test God. I know His Word is true. I know His promises are true. And I know that when I follow Him in obedience, He's going to hold up His end of the bargain every single time. But I'm going to wait for Him to speak. All right, let's go to the last one. Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, He said, if you will kneel down and worship Me. You see, Jesus knew why He was on the earth. He knew what His purpose was. His purpose for coming to the earth was to reestablish the reign of God's kingdom over His people by sacrificing His sinless body on our behalf, defeating the curse that Adam and Eve passed down to every one of us, and reestablishing the rule and reign of God in those who choose Him. And Satan says, i got a shortcut. You want to be a ruler? You want to reign? i got a substitute to the cross. It won't hurt. You don't have to die. Just take me and you'll get the same thing. And oftentimes, we get led into a wilderness experience, a wilderness phase after we've received some pretty wild and awesome promises from God. God comes and says, you know, I really want to do this in your life. I really want to see... I want to accomplish these things through you. And we, we hear, you know, in, in reading the Word and praying and our relationship with Him, 
through prophecy or whatever else, and we think, you know, God is really going to do some fantastic things in my life. And we get a vision, God, you know, I'm going to go with you, and we're going to do these things. And what happens? Bang! You know, the car blows up or whatever. And we're, we're hurled into this time of wilderness, and all of a sudden we don't sense God's presence. And the devil comes, and he says, you know all that stuff you're supposed to be doing and all? You should get that. And I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to offer a substitute. Now, he's, he's not so stupid that he usually comes to you and says, oh, yeah, just worship me. Join the occult. Put a little pentagram upside down on your head. Because most of us would be like, duh. I'm not that stupid. I know enough truth that I'm not just going to fall down and worship the devil. But he offers usually a substitute. In other words, something else other than God that we need to depend on to see the things come to pass that God's promised us. Does that make sense? Something else that takes first place in our lives instead of God. When I went to college, I was a real pagan. Didn't know Jesus. Really wasn't interested in Him. And I had one goal. I wanted to be rich. And I had one reason for wanting to be rich is I wanted to travel the world. I just... I had spent all my entire life in one house, and in uh, which I now know, having drugged my parent, my kids into 16 different moves, that maybe one house is not such a bad thing. But for me, as a, a 17, 18-year-old teenager, it was awful. You know, I'd only lived in this one stupid house, and had not traveled very much, and I'd seen snow like twice in my life, and I wanted to see the world. And so, I wanted to get rich so that I could travel the world. And you know, the interesting thing is I believe that there was some God in there putting a desire in me to travel the world. Because later, God would call me to be a missionary. And later, serving Him, I didn't get to travel so much that I had to actually have pages added to my passport because I didn't have room for any more stamps. But it wasn't because I was this rich businessman. But rather, God had a plan for me. But the devil, even before I began my relationship with him, tried to usurp that plan and said, You know, John, you should worship being successful in the business world so that you can make a lot of money. And that will make you really happy. Because then you can travel everywhere you want to. First class. And we have all of us. Do you know God created you to be something really special? I have shared this before here. I'm going to share it again. Would you like it if it said on your tombstone, here lies John Wilhelm. He was really average. Okay, your name's okay. Then we have to change the name. All right, but 
If they just wrote down, you know what he accomplished? Not much. Just kind of normal stuff. Would that make you feel good? Your legacy is mediocrity? No. God put within you the desire to do spectacular things because He wants to do those spectacular things with you. He's given, he's given you a vision. He has put it in your, in your spirit, in your soul, and He wants to carry it out. And though, that is not pride and conceit and arrogance. It can grow into that if we don't rely on God to help us accomplish it. But the desire to be special, to, to do something significant, is God created within you. And then the devil comes and says, you know what, I'll make you significant. I'll make you awesome. And it'll be easy. It won't be so hard. Forget what Jesus said when He said, if you want to follow Me, take up your cross and follow Me. And when we get into the wilderness, and we don't feel God's presence when He's so distant, and we don't feel like our prayers are getting answered, and we don't, we don't see anything happening when we read the Bible. Man, we start grabbing for those substitutes. This will make me feel better. This will move me farther along. This will get me closer to my goals. Now, Satan was just plain out blunt with Jesus. He just came right out and said, just worship me. Because he knew he couldn't smokescreen Jesus. So he just made him a flat-out offer. Worship me. The kingdoms of the world are yours. And yet, what did Jesus answer? Jesus said, I love it. Get out of here, Satan. I'm sure that's the King James Version. For the Scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus knew right away what was going on. You're trying to replace my first love. You're trying to take away the most important thing in my entire life. And that is my worship of my Father. And it worked when Jesus answered. And the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. So... Has, have you ever noticed, and I hope you have, I hope you're not going to hear anything new right now, but did you ever notice what the devil used to tempt Jesus? He used the Bible. You think he's stupid? So many times temptation comes and it looks like a good thing. He's quoting Scripture. He's using God's Word. He, he sits here and he pulls things out of the Bible and says, you know, do this. And so, when we're in a wilderness experience, we're in a wilderness time, the temptations that come are going to be so well packaged. And they're going to look really attractive. They may even look Christian. And that's why it's so vital that we have an understanding of our relationship with God and of His Word even before we go into those times. 
So how should we respond when we find ourselves in a time of wilderness? I've made you aware of some of the, 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 the tactics that the devil's going to throw at you. Let me just hit you with a couple of scriptures very quickly. Obviously, when you're in a wilderness time, you don't rely on your feelings. And don't let your feelings talk to you. Don't let your feelings make decisions. Just imagine if Elijah had listened to his feelings. Here's what we do in the wilderness. Psalm 1.1 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf will not wither, and whatever He does, He shall prosper. Where do you want to be when you're in a desert? You want to be near water. You want to get as close to the source of water as you can be. And here we have a picture, an actual picture of exactly what we're supposed to do. You want to be near the source of water so that you can live? Meditate on God's Word. Know this book. It's not enough to simply know little stories and to, to memorize random Scriptures. We need to really understand the truths that are in here. You see, Satan came and picked out out of context little verses and threw them at Jesus. But Jesus had an overall understanding of God's love and God's Word, and He shot right back at Him and defeated His, his temptations. When you're in the wilderness, you know what you want to do more than anything else? Not read this. Because you don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. You know, I read and it just, just doesn't do anything for me. Gee, I'm sorry, where's that verse? Read the Bible and it'll do something for you. You'll feel great. That's the time more than any other when we need to be really trying to, to do whatever it takes to get into this Word. I can remember a time when I was in the wilderness. Man, I read this. It was like eating sawdust. Dry, boring, I'd fall asleep. But I persevered and I stuck with it. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And at the same time, I said, God, I'm not letting go. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to quit clawing until I get back to where I'm out of this time of dry and, and, and not feeling your presence, not knowing you, that you're there. And I wish I could tell you that, bang, and it, you know, the next day everything was better. It wasn't. It was a slow coming out of the wilderness. But God gave me, by His grace, the tenacity to stick with it and not to give up. But it's not simply reading the Word that gets us through the wilderness. There's a second step that we can read in Jeremiah Chapter 17, verse 7. There's a very similar picture here. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. 
For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The reason we read the Word and learn the Word is not so we got all this great knowledge up in our head. But this book reveals who God is to us. And then we put our faith in Him, our hope in Him, our trust. We have... See, that's, that's what faith is. It's walking where I can't see. It's following where I don't have feelings. Putting my faith in God when I don't feel Him. When I don't sense Him. When nothing's happening like I thought it would. When my circumstances are screaming, no, this is wrong. And saying, wait a minute. God spoke. He's given me His love and His promises. He saved my very soul. I'm going to follow. And then you're the tree in the desert that's planted right by the water source. And you won't fail in the wilderness. For my pastoral training, I had to read a book. Oh, man, it was an awful book. <laughs> it was so hard to understand. But the premise was this. When you read the Bible, do you know how many... If you read the Bible, if you really read the characters, how many ended well? None. <laughs> well, I'd say Jesus did okay. <laughs> All right. How many, when you read about the different guys in the Bible, persevered all the way to the end? They made it. They ended in God's pleasure. There ain't that many. There's really not. And the challenge of this author was, if we don't get rooted by the river, we'll fail in the wilderness. You see, your walk with Christ is not about feelings. Feelings help when they're good. They don't help when they're bad. And I love the times in my past where God has been so real and so there. And those help me hold on in the times when it's dry. But I can't rely on those alone. The devil's going to come to you. And he's going to tempt you. He's going to say, do it on your own strength. You can make it. What was the second one? He's going to say, he says, you, you know, make God do something. Force Him. Test Him. And then he's going to say, wait a minute, I, you know, let's just make this all easier. i got to substitute. Rely on this. Put your faith and your trust in this. You don't need God. He doesn't need first place. And those are the times when we can really falter and, 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 and shrink back in our walk with Christ and in living in His kingdom. And we all go through them. We all go through times of wilderness. And some of you may be in a time of wilderness right now, and I just want to—I want to end by just offering uh, opportunity to let God reach out to you today. That you can just come forward and say, "Man, I'm eating sawdust. 
I'm chewing sand. And God, it's dry. And I don't want to rely on anybody but You. I don't want to test You. I don't want to do it on my own. But I need You. And I need You to come here in this place right now and to meet me. To walk with me through the wilderness and lead me out as soon as I possibly can get out. Do you know what happened to Jesus after the wilderness experience? He exploded onto the world scene. He came with power. He shows up in his home synagogue and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Bang! Starts healing people, throwing out demons left and right. And the people throng to him, drawn by the presence of God's kingdom in his life and demonstrated by him. And if we can make it through the wilderness and come out on the other side, then we can see the power of God in ways we never dreamt possible. And you'll look back on the wilderness and you'll say, why was I struggling so much? You know what? Look at where I am now. God is so good. Why did I ever doubt Him? But when you're in the middle of the desert, it doesn't always feel that way. So I just want to invite anybody that wants to. I'm going to say a prayer. Ask the worship team to come. If there is one still here. And uh, let's just have a time. There may be other things that God wants to do today, but I just want to invite anybody that's going through a wilderness experience to come forward and, and to just receive ministry, receive prayer. Whoever's comfortable with that. And, and we want to pray for you. I think one reason that God laid this message on my heart is this last year has been very much a wilderness year for our whole family. It's been very hard. And yet we know God is faithful. And He's... I'm going to be throwing out demons left and right any day now. (laughs) Well, Father, thank You that sometimes You want us to grow. You want us to mature. You want us to, to become more the rock that's founded on You, our our foundation stone. And so I just I just want to confess, Lord, there's some of us here that are going through a wilderness or been in the wilderness or maybe one's coming, but we want You. We don't want to rely on anybody else. We don't want to rely on ourselves. We don't want to test You and question You. We don't want any substitutes. We want You. We just want you. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. To come and minister to your people. Oh, you love us so much and you're looking forward to this time that you can reach down and share your love with us. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Would you all stand while we worship? And as you feel that, just come forward and receive, receive prayer.
Father, we do thank you for your awesome splendor and your provision of life even in the dark times. And we just welcome you now, Lord, to lead us onward as you did Jesus through and out and into the world for the purpose of expanding your kingdom, taking your life and your light, taking hope where there is hopelessness, smashing fear and bringing love. Let your kingdom come in our world, in our lives, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces and in our schools. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us and through us. That you would be glorified and that Jesus would receive the glory for all that he's doing. If any of you would like additional prayer uh, for some of the reasons, just something going on, maybe a decision you need to make, you'd like just somebody to pray with you about that, uh, maybe there's a physical issue or condition in your life that you'd like some prayer for, we have folks up here that would love that opportunity. Uh, otherwise, uh, grace to you. Thank you for being with us tonight, this afternoon. I guess we'll get it right one of these days. And uh, might you take the love of Jesus out with you wherever you go. Have a great week. Thank you.